October 24th, 2015. One of the things that has been so powerful in my life happened that day. October 24th, 2015 is a day that changed me forever. In fact, I had that opportunity to share this story this past September uh, at our first cut men's breakfast. And uh, at that time, Pastor Steve and Pastor Corey and myself, we were really just feeling like God would have me to share this story on a Sunday morning. So how appropriate that as we transition from first cup to base camp, this is an opportunity for me to be able to share that. If you are a guy who is um, interested in barbecue and hanging out and having a good time, definitely want to encourage you to come out in 13 days uh, for the first base camp event. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, But I'm excited about this opportunity to share this date with you and everything that God has taught me through it. Uh, as Pastor Steve and his family are enjoying some, uh, building some memories as they're off for spring break and uh, they're up in Georgia, I am so excited because I know that God has a purpose and a plan for this morning. And he has drawn us together on purpose. Because on October 24th, 2015, God changed my life forever. He taught me about challenges, about facing obstacles. And I mean, I was no... Stranger to obstacles, right? I think we all are, you know, as a, as a school leader, as a, as a father, husband, uh, spiritual leader, personal. I think we all know what it means to face challenges. I mean, for some, it's adversity. That thing you didn't see coming and you didn't want to come. For some, it's a, a problem to be solved or a bold goal in your business. This idea of facing challenges, it's, it's not something that's new to us. The reality is that every single one of us is either today facing a challenge or one step away from one. So this idea of challenges really connects to every single one of us. It's just part of life. But the idea of challenges, the idea of obstacles, for me changed radically after October 24th, 2015. Because that is the day that I first encountered this. It's called Colossus. It is a, an obstacle, it's kind of the premier obstacle of the savage race, which is an obstacle course race, a mud run, if you will. And this was my very first race, my, my very first mud run. And I'll tell you why in a second that was a very foolish thing to do. You see, my, my best friend Mark had been recruiting me because he'd been running these things for a while. And he said, oh, you got to run with, with one of these with me, it'd be great. And I'm like, <laughs> No. No, no. He's like, oh, no, it's great. You just come on out, you run. I'm like, dude, when 5K means 5,000 inches, then I'll run one. But uh, in July, I think God finally got a hold of me, and he's like, yeah, you need to sign up. And the way these things work is you got to pay for them ahead of time before you run it, and they don't give you your money back. That way, you're in, right? And so uh, in July, I said, all right, let's do it. And um, again, I had never run a race, all right? I'd never run a true 5K. I had never run anything. So the Savage Race is seven and a half miles, over 25 obstacles. That was a stupid first race. All right, see, I I had no knowledge of racing. I remember our first practice, we were going to get a team practice, and it was just uh, Ben Wolf and I and Mark. We went up to the park here in Collier, and this was going to be our first practice. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to become a runner. It's going to be great. Mark's like, no, this is going to be small. It's just going to be a couple miles. Uh, We're going to do the park and come back. Okay, great. So we, we were there, what used to be the uh, Winn-Dixie parking lot. I'm like, all right, 
I'm going to do this. I had the shoes. I had the outfit. Let's do this. I'm like, I can probably get maybe the first mile, then I'm going to have to stop and walk. Foolish, foolish mortal. So I, I get ready to go, and we're going we're gonna to run, right? And about 200 feet in, I'm like, <laughs> save yourself. I'm, I'm done. Just leave me to die, right? It's, this idea was foolish. But here I was, October 24th, 2015, and we rolled up. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of people at this, this race grounds and like seven and a half miles, 25 obstacles, and they're, they're great, all right? There's all sorts of different obstacles. Uh, well, if you haven't seen one before, many people think of this. This is a mud run. So you're, you're literally crawling through mud, uh, often under barbed wire or something like that. Uh, you also do things like this. You crawl over the short wall. Um, you're looking at that going, that's not short. Um, but there's the short wall. The things like pipes, right? That upper hand over body. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, three feet in, I fell off in the water. Um, rings. Anybody remember monkey bars in, in elementary school? Yeah, these are like next level, right? Because they spin, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's Colossus. For, for the Savage Race, this is the, the premier obstacle, all right? It is a 20-foot warped wall that you have to run up and get over the top. Now, there is a rope that starts 10 feet up, all right? So this is Colossus. Now, you're thinking, okay, maybe if I'm at full strength, I can handle that. Yeah, this is six and a half miles in, all right? Colossus. It's intimidating. You're sitting there, and, and I'll be honest with you, that picture doesn't even do it justice, all right? There are several of you in the room I know right now who have faced this before, and it's scary. It's a scary obstacle, But through this and this race and many other races since, God has taught me so much about what it means to persevere. So much about what it means to face a challenge and to overcome an obstacle. You see, because obstacle course racing is so much more than mud and walls. It's so much more profound than a few bumps and bruises and scrapes. Obstacle course racing for me has been a way for God to teach me so many metaphors about life about obstacles that we face every day. I mean, let's be honest. All of us have faced some sort of obstacle, right? I mean, maybe it's a sports competition or a video game. Maybe you're out on the battlefield or you have a business plan in the board meeting. I mean, maybe it's the car buying experience, right? That's an obstacle. Or or navigating the trip to grandma's house with a two-year-old and a 17-hour trip, right? Maybe it's the night before Christmas and you're putting the toy together in the dark, the baby's crying, and the instructions are in Swahili. You know what I'm talking about, right? These obstacles we face, but some are much more serious. For some of us, it's an unexpected illness. And for some, it's a parent whose memory is fading. And those are just the ones we talk about because the reality is there are obstacles in our lives that we don't even talk about. There's the ones that we struggle with in the dark parts of our mind and our heart. Every single one of us faces obstacles. So as we open God's word together today, let us think about those obstacles. What is it for you? What is that thing that you're facing right now? It looks like a 20-foot warp wall, and you're like, that's hard. You see, we talk about these things, and the metaphor of obstacle course racing can teach us a lot of things. If you have your journals, I want to invite you to open up Because God has taught me that there are three types of obstacles. In obstacle course racing, there's three types of obstacles, and I think you'll find it applies to life as well. Type one is ones that we know how to get over. 
It's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take some bumps and bruises, but we've got a strategy and we're confident we can, we can overcome this. That's type one. Type two, I have no idea how I'm going to get over this. But I'm confident that with some strategy and some creative thinking and some hard work, some perseverance and some grit, some help with the people around me, I'm, I can get over that. I can get through that. That's type two. Type one, I know how to do this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be rough, but I can do it. Number two, I do not know how to do this. But with some perseverance and grit, we can make that work. Type three, I am not going to overcome this. I can try as hard as I want. I can be as creative as I want. But ultimately, I do not have what's in me. What's in me is not enough to do that. It's not enough to be able to get over that obstacle. Those are the three types of obstacles I've encountered in the many races I've, I've run. And I believe that the same obstacles we face in life have the same mentality, the same structure. You see, every single time I came across an obstacle, I hoped it was type one. I suspected it was type two. And I feared it was type three. Say that again. I, I hoped it was type one. I saw a path. suspected it was type two. And I feared it was type three. Because if it was type three, then I'm in real problem. I'm in real, real trouble. So that brings us back to Colossus, right? So I'm looking at Colossus, and I know one thing. This is not type one. <laughs> All right, that short wall right there, that's, that's, that's type one, right? Like, it's tall, but I've gone over walls. My training has prepared me for this. It's not easy, but I knew how to do it. I'm looking at Colossus and like, not type one. Right, but all right, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's type three, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna treat it like type two, right? I'm gonna, I see these other people going up. I see how that guy did it. She went up that way. Okay, I got it. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him my best. I've got my, my running shoes on. I'm gonna kind of get my angle of attack and I start to psych myself out. All right, I just gotta run the 10 feet. I gotta grab the rope. Get ready and hold that thought. We're gonna come back to that story. I'll tell you the end of the story of Colossus, but first I want to open God's word because this book has so many lessons on challenges. This book is filled with stories of people who've overcome challenges, who've stared in the face of that metaphorical wall and how God has interacted with their life. There's a lot of stories in here. In fact, in your Go Deeper this week, you're going to have an opportunity to unpack a lot of those ones. So I would encourage you with your small group with your family, or maybe as a personal study to go in to go deeper this week. It's on the MyMPC app or on our website. But today we're going to take a look at a guy named Gideon. A guy named Gideon and what his story would teach us about obstacles. So if you have your Bibles with me, with you, will you turn to Judges chapter 6 and 7? In Judges chapter 6 and 7, we meet a guy named Gideon. I want to give you a little bit of backstory especially as you're turning there. You see, in this time, the nation of Israel was in a bad place. See, the nation of Israel was uh, in uh, the land that they had overcome. They they were already out of Egypt. They had come here, but they didn't have a single leader. Uh, They didn't yet have a king or anything like that. They didn't have a single leader, and so they were kind of in these different tribes, and they were in a rough spot because the Midianites had been just pounding on them. The Midianites were this other group of people, and they had just been, man, they were mean. They were pushing them around. It was rough. Israelites were really beaten down. And in 
Verse, uh, verses 1 through 6, we learn about that, by how Midianites were really just pounding on the Israelites. And we're going to skip down to verse 11, where we, we learn about a guy named Gideon. A guy named Gideon who is just like you and me. How do I know that? Because he's real. He's afraid. He doesn't yet trust God. He is not even sure what God is doing, what he's up to. He's fearful. He's got a lot of doubt. And God calls him out of his place of hiding. And he begins to teach him a series of lessons. He says, Gideon, come up out of there because I'm calling you out of hiding for a great purpose. You're going to be a great warrior, a mighty man of valor. Gideon very reluctantly takes his next step. Right, we talk about next steps all the time. His next step was getting out of the hiding place. And he's like, you're kidding me, right? Because he didn't yet trust God. I mean, sure, he got out of the well, but his next step was not, boom, now he's suddenly a mighty man of valor. It's one step at a time. And so as we read chapter 6 and into chapter 7, we see this series of events where Gideon is is, uh, challenged by God to do this series of things. And it's very clear that Gideon does not trust God because he he does these tests like, oh, there's this meal thing and we got to do this fleece thing. It's all very interesting. And slowly Gideon is stepping forward. And then God challenges Gideon to go and and tear down the family altar in the town. And whoo, I don't know if I'm ready to do that, God. Maybe maybe I'll do it it yourself, but I'll do it my way. And and he, he keeps moving forward where slowly, very slowly, he's learning to trust God. And it gets to the point where he is a little more publicly open about his faith and his trust in God. And the Midianites take notice, hey, there's something going on over there. And so they amass an army, an army of 120,000 soldiers, 120,000 fighting guys on the other side of that hill. And all the Israelites are like, Gideon? He's like, what? Oh, 120,000 guys. Okay, well, God took care of me there, there, and there, so... uh, all right, let's see how many, let's, everybody get together, let's see how many soldiers we have. Okay, great, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, 30,000. We got 30,000, they've got 120,000. Gideon's like, what do I do? And God's like, trust me. And it's this series of steps of obedience. Gideon goes, okay, okay, um, we got 30,000 guys. God, what do we do next? God says, yeah, you have too many. I'm sorry, What? 30,000, 120,000, what are you talking about? It's crazy talk. Yeah, you got too many. Um, and so he, he goes through and he sorts some out. Next thing you know, there are only 10,000 guys. All right, there are 10,000 guys. He's like, okay, um, what next? And God says, yeah, you still have too many. He's like, God, what's up with your math? 10,000 10, guys, 120,000 guys, yeah, you have too many. So he, he goes to a couple more steps. The next thing he knows, he's got 300 guys versus 120,000. And this is such a cool story. You got to go back and read it because there's victory. And God gets all the glory because it was 300 and 120,000. It's crazy. But what we see as we go through the book of Gideon, the story of Gideon, is a man who very slowly learns the value of surrender. What we see is a guy who step by step is slowly, slowly releasing his grip and learning to surrender. Because Gideon is a story that teaches us about surrender. It's a lesson that Gideon needed to learn. It's a lesson that the nation of Israel needed to learn. And it's a lesson I needed to learn. 
My friends, I think this is a lesson you might need to learn. Because this idea of surrender is so powerful and profound in our lives. Because on one hand, we've got my will and my way and my timing. And there's God's will and God's way and God's timing. And for so much of our lives, we hold on tight over here. Man, I, I want my way. I want my will. I want my timing. And very slowly, you see as you unpack the story of Gideon that God is teaching him about all three of those things. My will, my way, and my timing exchanged and surrendered for God's will and God's way and God's timing. It's so simple but so profound because this way is so interesting to us and so tasty to us and delicious. It's so full of pride. It's so full of, hey, I'm in control of my life. I like that. I have my own priorities and I want to believe that I can advance my own priorities. And the world teaches us all the time that, hey, you're going to get judged if you're successful. And so, yeah, I want to be successful. And I've got a really good idea how to do that. And I know when that's going to happen and I want to be in control. God, through the story of Gideon, has been challenging me. Steve, is it pride or surrender? Pride or surrender? If you're taking notes in your journal, write down Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, where it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, this idea of pride will always lead to failure. It will lead to destruction and it will lead to a fall. But then we come to this idea of surrender. And it's like, okay, God, does that mean if I surrender, I'm going to get everything I want? No, because we read in Romans 8, 28, where Paul is speaking a very similar idea. And this is an often misunderstood verse. This is what it says. And we know that for those who love God, who love God, his will, his way, his timing, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. Well, that's great news, Steve. Are you saying if I surrender, I'll get everything I want? It's all good, right? It's not what the verse says. It's not what the verse says. It says, for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, who have surrendered to his will and his way and his timing, everything's going to work out for the good for his glory. Because what we find is that surrender leads to obedience. And obedience leads to victory that gives God glory. Surrender leads to obedience, and obedience leads to victory that gives God glory. That brings us back to Colossus. Here I am, I in this crazy wall. This crazy wall that I didn't prepare for. I didn't have a 20-foot warp wall to try out. Definitely not a type 1 challenge. I thought it was type 3, maybe it was type 2. But here I go. Get my grip underneath me, right? I'm going to run this thing. I'm watching all these people else go, okay. So I run. All my strength, all my might. I'm running, 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 running. There's the rope. It's 10 feet up. I go. I completely miss the rope. Fall down and fall flat on my butt. That was embarrassing. 
Uh, there's a lot of people there, right? I'm like, all right, all right. Try again. I do this. I run. This time I get the rope. And I Batman and Robin it up to the top, right? I get to the top. I got my hand here. And in that moment, all my strength is gone. I don't have enough. I do not have enough to get over that edge. I'd gone 19 feet, and now I'm trying to figure out, does it hurt less to roll back down the curve, to go off to the right? What hurts less? Ouch. And then I look up, and there's my buddy Mark. And I look into the eyes of the one who got me here. And he reaches out and begins to pull. And my other friends who were were running with me, they begin to reach out, grab a leg, and pull. And I very unceremoniously get hauled over that edge. (laughs) It was not pretty. (laughs) I could not have overcome that on my own. But I look to the one who got me here. I look to those that he put around me. And it was not for my glory, because let me tell you, that wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. But today, I get to tell you that story for God's glory. Because obedience leads to victory for God's glory. And that idea of finding that victory in that moment of surrender, where I could have like been like, nah, uh I'm a man, I'm going to get over this thing, yeah. I would have fallen again back on my butt. But that moment of surrender to accept that help, to, to help out friends, that was a pivotal moment. This idea of being able to help and have help with friends, that's something else we're going to go into and go deeper. I really encourage you to check it out this week. Because that's a whole other message of how God puts people around us to help us. But that's a lesson I have never learned, never forgotten. That's a lesson that I learned on that day about what it meant to face an obstacle that I was not going to be able to get over on my own. But that God got me through it. Just like he got Gideon through that. Now you're thinking, okay, Steve, that's that's interesting. But you you skipped over a couple of verses in the story of Gideon. And I I want to come back to that because that actually is our text for today. Everything else was context. All right. So back in Judges chapter 6, I told you that verses one through, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, told us about the Midianites and how they had really just run over the Israelites. And we learned that up until verse 6. And then we skip down to verse 11 and we learn about Gideon, this regular ordinary guy who has to go through a series of surrender moments. He has to allow himself to be humbled to the point where he becomes who God calls him to be. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've been in church a long time and I've read that story and it's, it's a great story. It speaks so much truth, but I had never really looked at the context. And God reminded me there, there's a great Bible study principle and that is when you're looking at a passage, look what came before. Like what is the context? And God brought me to verse 7 through verse 10 and this is what it says. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites... They're like, ah, God, the Midianites, they're there. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, hey, I led you out of Egypt. And I brought you out of a house of slavery. Remember that? That was me. 
And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and all those who oppressed you. So think about these Midianites. They're this big compared to Egypt. Remember, I got you out of there. I'm strong enough. I I did that for you. I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. Not only were you victorious, like you kicked them out of the land, but I did that for you. I've been faithful. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwelt, but you have not obeyed my voice. God is saying, I have been faithful in all these ways. I'm so much bigger and stronger than the Midianites that you're afraid of right now. I have been faithful to you and I am stronger and I stand ready to help you, but you have not obeyed my voice. And that last piece is the kicker. Why? Because all of Gideon's trials were unnecessary. They were unnecessary because God had already invited Gideon and the nation of Israel to surrender to him and to obey him. And so the story of Gideon is awesome and it's really cool. I highly encourage you to read it. But so many of those things were unnecessary. Why? Because God already had a plan. He was already big enough, he was already strong enough, and he was already a proven, victorious God. Gideon only had to surrender. But he hadn't. Just like you and me. Because we fall in love with our own ability to get through type 1 and type 2 challenges. Right? We, we have this idea that I'm going to get through this challenge. And it's type 1, and it was hard, but I roughed through, and me, I made it work. My way, my will, my timing. And that type two challenge, man, I was able to get through that. And, you know, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but we made it through and I made it through. And so we fall in love with my way, my will, my timing. And I guess that's all fine and good until you hit that type three challenge. And you realize my way and my will, my timing are not sufficient. And God says, hey, I've been here all along. I'm strong enough, and I've proved it over time and time again. I'm waiting for you to surrender to me. And that's where, as I was writing down in my journal, God brought me to this. If you have your journal, I encourage you to write this down. Surrender is a good response to challenges, but it's a better preparation for them. Surrender is a good response to challenges. So maybe right now you are toe-to-toe with a 20-foot warp wall and you're like, I got no idea. Surrender is a good response to that. Highly encourage it. But it's a better preparation because for some of us, we're not in front of a type 3 challenge right now. For some of us, it's still around the corner. And today God is inviting you to preemptively surrender. To preemptively say, God, I don't know what's around the corner It may be type one, it may be type two, it may be type three, but no matter what it is, I'm surrendering to you, to your will, and to your way, and to your timing. Now, let's be really clear, that's not easy. It's not easy. In fact, it takes daily surrender, hourly surrender sometimes. But we can hope in our own abilities, or we can have faith in God's. You see, this idea of surrendering is found throughout the Bible. I said earlier that over and over and over again, you're going to see examples of this. And I don't think it's anywhere clearer than when it comes to our sin. 
You see, our sin is a type three challenge. It is something that, trying as we might, we may not, we will not be able to overcome that. And for so many of us, we see it as a type one or a type two challenge, right? Like, you know, it's wrong, but I'm just going to muscle my way through it. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get over it. God has these expectations of holiness and righteousness. And, okay, I get that. But if I work hard enough, and I'm not quite sure how, but if I work hard enough, it's a type two kind of thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get over that wall. In Judges chapter, uh, sorry, Joshua chapter 24, Joshua speaks to that. He says, look, following God, it's the right thing. Following his rules, committing to his ways, it's the right thing. But you cannot do it on your own. It can't happen. It won't work. Because we are broken people. In Romans 3.23, Paul would say, everybody sinned. We all fall short. Right? That wall, none of us can grab it and pull ourselves over. We're not strong enough. We're broken. But Jesus stands ready and says, you know what? Sin is a type three challenge. I stand ready to help you. And I will give myself as a sacrifice and I will help you over that wall. You just lay lay down what you've got. Because we still give what we bring, right? Like when I talk about surrender, it's not like the kind of surrender I look at the wall and go, nope, and walk around. We, We bring our lives. We bring what we have, right? Maybe it's 15 feet. Maybe it's 19 feet. And God goes, come here. I got you. It's like the the fishes and the loaves. You bring what you've got and God does the miraculous. Maybe today this is your your first time in a church. Maybe the first time in a long time. And you've heard about God and you've heard about all his rules and you've heard about the things he expects. And, And maybe somewhere in your head you've bought into the lie that, you know what, if I'm good enough, I can get through these rules. I do more good than bad. I'm I'm okay. My friends, that's not how it works. Jesus stands ready right now to say, I will get you over that wall. You cannot do it on your own. Lay yourself, surrender to me. I'll forgive you for everything you've done and follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus is offering for us today is that surrender. Now, for some of you, you say, all right, Steve, I've done that, right? I've surrendered. I've, I've had that prayer. I've surrendered to God. Check. I thought so too. I thought, you know what? I'm good. And the more I began to pray through this and the more I began to look into this, I realized there is no check. There is no I've surrendered because it has to be a daily thing, sometimes an hourly thing. And as he began to journal through this, he said, God, show me what I haven't surrendered. And he led me to this. It's easy to identify the thing you haven't surrendered. It's the thing you're most worried about today. It's easy to identify the thing you haven't surrendered because it's the thing you're most worried about today. And for me, worry is such a beast. Worry and anxiety just swirl in my brain and I... I give it so much attention. And God said, Steve, that's what I want you to surrender. But God, can't I surrender that? Yeah, you already surrendered that and you're not worried about it because you surrendered it. I want you to surrender this thing to me because you don't have to give it the kind of attention. I want that attention. Give me that attention and surrender it. How do you do that practically? Well, I'll share with you in the morning, I tended to two types of prayers, all right? 
One I'll call the worry prayer, and the other is the surrender prayer. All right, they both have valid pieces, but I'll tell you why I call that in that in a second. See, the worry prayer sounds a little something like this. God, please fix blank for me today. All right, now the reason I call it the worry prayer is because I think it's prayer, but it sounds a whole lot like worrying because it's real easy to pivot into worrying. God, please fix this today. Because let me tell you why it's hurting. And see, this happens and this happens, and then I don't know what happens, and God, and then this happens and this happens, and this happens, but I keep worrying about it, right? The worry prayer starts as God fix this for me and really easy pivots into worry. And God has instead challenged me to the surrender prayer. And it goes like this, God, I surrender blank to you today. Show me how you're teaching me through this surrender. God, I surrender blank to you today. Show me what you're teaching me through this surrender. And this is part of, of what's called the, the concentric circle prayer, right? On your piece of paper, on your prayer journal, the very center is the C. That's for Christ. Then you draw a circle around that, and that's the thing you're most worried about. And you start praying, God, I surrender this to you today. Show me what you're teaching me through this surrender. Because in the worry prayer, I'm focused on what's wrong. In the surrender prayer, I'm focused on surrendering to God. And later on that afternoon or that night, when I want to bring that back up, God is like, hey, you surrendered that to me, remember? Remember you surrendered that? Oh, yeah. And so this idea of surrendering becomes a regular pattern of life. You start with the C, you draw a circle, you pray that prayer. What's the next biggest worry? You pray the prayer. What's the next biggest worry? You pray the prayer. And the next thing you know, all you're doing is surrendering, 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 surrendering. It's not easy. Not pretending it's easy, but it is the path to victory. Because surrender leads to obedience, and obedience leads to victory that brings God glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, that you have proven yourself to be faithful. God, thank you that, just as your word said, you are the same God who overcame the slave drivers in Egypt. You are the same God that brought the plagues and separated the Red Sea and brought the Israelites out. You are the same God who has all that strength. You're the same God who helped Gideon beat 120,000 guys with 300. You're the same God who, through the ages, has been faithful to be bigger than anything we might face. God, you're that same God And you are inviting us right now to surrender. May we be faithful. May we be obedient to say, all right, I'm going to surrender. Because I know, God, that you're bigger than any obstacle I might face tomorrow. You're bigger than the obstacle I'm facing today. Oh, God, bring us to that point. But God, don't let the prayer just be here on a Sunday morning or, or watching through a computer screen. God, teach us to be a people who pray a surrender prayer every day. Help us to live a surrendered life, not just a single day. Because that is going to bring the victory that gives you glory. And ultimately, God, that's what we want. Because we are surrendered to your will, in your way, and in your timing. May it all be for your glory, in your name. Amen. Thank you.